What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Antler Up podcast. And today, Dimitri and I are joined by Kip Adams with the QDMA. And Kip is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to hunting whitetails, especially here in our home state of Pennsylvania. And Kip is also the QDMA Director of Conservation. In this episode, we dive into a bunch of different topics from the 2020 PA Deer Whitetail Report, new changes coming to PA Whitetail uh, hunting season and just across the board for the 2020 hunting season, deer habitat management, hunting tactics, especially right now in the month of October as we are getting uh, ready for some some changes in the deer behavior uh, and a ton more. So thank you for Kip for coming on. Thank you for all of our listeners out there and all our supporters as far as those uh, uh, that have bought a hat and uh, man, it means the world to us. So thank you for that. Thank you to all of our partners. Make sure you go check them out over at antlerupoutdoors.com. Check us out on our social media pages. And without further ado, let's get into the episode. Thanks sir, for the support. Till next time, Antler Up. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode on the Antler Up podcast. And on the other line, I have Kip Adams with the QDMA. Kip, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? Awesome. So, hey, Kip, do us a, a little favor. I know a lot of people, I've seen your stuff. I've seen your stuff online and especially to being a member of the QDMA and everything. You know, t- what is your main title, especially now with the new merger with the NDA? I'm our director of conservation, and uh, what we're going through a strategic planning process right now as the two uh, organizations have merged. So I don't know if that will stay the same afterwards. Uh, I suspect it probably will, but uh, either way, I work on the the conservation side for what we do, and uh, I'm a lucky man. I got a great job. That's awesome. That's good to hear. I, I know we had uh, Torn Miller on. Uh, he's associated with the NDA not too long ago. So it was really cool to kind of now bring you on and, and get your side of things uh, talking on the podcast. So, Kip, let's jump right into it. You know, being that Dimitri and I are, you know, homegrown from Pennsylvania and, uh, you know, we were right now, we predominantly hunt central Pennsylvania as well. You know, what does the 2020 outlook uh, look like for, for PA for the Deer Report this year? It looks really good, and uh, I tell you what, you know, I'm in northern Pennsylvania, and I am chomping at the bit for our, our season to open. Uh, I, have, I have so many friends that are hunting other states, uh, um, but we, our, our season outlook is really, really good. Uh, you know, in Pennsylvania here, we're always at one of the top states in the country relative to the number of deer that we shoot per square mile. Uh, there's just a lot of deer in the state. Age structure is better than it's ever been, so uh, a lot of reasons to be very excited for uh, for our upcoming deer season. Yeah, I think even you know with the winters we've had had a, a lot to do with uh, the numbers looking pretty good as far as you know the the mature bucks um, making it through the winter and, and as well as some of the the fawn uh, harvest as well. So yeah, we. Uh... For most of the state, you know, we just simply don't get that tough of winters anymore. Uh, certainly not from a whitetail's perspective. So uh, very, very little winter kill. Um, you know, much of our state has really good habitats, very productive. And uh, we're uh, we're in a good part of the country for uh, or actually a good part of the whitetail's range, you know, just relative to how productive our deer herds are and, and how well they can do. So uh, we're uh, we're blessed. I work in some states that have much lower deer densities and a lot tougher time trying to grow deer. So uh uh, Pennsylvania hunters have it pretty good. Yeah. I even kind of just talk a little bit of just jumping on, uh, today I took my dog and for a walk and on two 
trips today. So we went for one early this morning and one just this past evening. And we kicked out about, I don't know, five to six different deer. And, uh, and, it, and it's in a nice little developmental area and they're just jumping around all over the place that, that we've been kicking them out and it leads down to public land. So I'm like, Hey, I might put a trail camera back here somewhere and uh, see if I could uh, have some success back here. And I, I Kip, you, could you even elaborate? And this is just kind of the, uh, kind of coming up with an idea with how you were saying about like the light winter, Dimitri. And, you know, we were talking about with COVID this year with people, less people being on the roads, you know, I feel like we didn't see as many deer hit by, by vehicles either. Man, that'd be great. Uh, if that, if that's the case, it certainly could be with fewer people traveling. Uh, you know, we, we took a look a couple of years ago in our, one of our angel whitetail reports at, you know, the percentage of the deer killed on the road in any state and just compared that to the percentage killed by hunters. And, uh, you know, fortunately, hunters kill a lot more, but, man, there's a lot of deer that get wasted on the roadside. So anything we could do to reduce that number would, would be very good. Right, exactly. And now even, like, Kip, I want to talk about PA specific just because of, again, being our home state. Uh, you know, we have some big changes coming to 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 the state as far as hunting goes this year, for this season you know what's your opinion and and uh what 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 what's your input on that well um I, i'm excited for, for some of the changes that we have um uh, we have fought for a long time to try to get some sunday hunting opportunities and uh, i'm glad that we have some this year um I would joke, you know, for all the letters and all the speaking that I did to, to get Sunday hunting, <laughs> used to say that I think my wife wrote letters to continue to oppose Sunday hunting so that I would be home. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the nice thing is, uh, and actually I'm a perfect example. At our camp, we have a camp in northern Pennsylvania, um, right near where I grew up. You know, my, I'm there through all of hunting season. My kids are there. Uh, I have a brother who lives in York, so you know, four hours away down the, you know, the southern part of the state. He and three nephews, uh, and because they're all involved in sports, they get almost no time to be able to hunt, you know, during our season because they're always in school and then they're in sports on Saturday. But man, even if they could hunt, you know, one or two Sundays, some of my nephews could just about double the amount of time that they had. So, you know, if people don't want to hunt on Sunday, that's fine, man. Don't, you know, go fishing, do something else. But, uh, Man, there's there's a lot of good that can come out of you know opportunities to hunt on Sunday. So uh, I'm really really glad that we have some this year. Yeah, I think a lot of people that have full time jobs, you know, you're during the archery season, you're you're getting maybe what five or six sits a year, which makes hunting very difficult. But now you add an extra day, and and you're almost doubling your time in the stand is huge for a lot of the people that are working full time jobs. That's for sure. Uh, you know, and, and it, I have seen this happen in other states, uh, Virginia and elsewhere, where Sunday hunting was not allowed. And then finally, they do allow it. And, uh, man, after a year or two, it's, it's a total non-issue. You know, it's, it's just that change that, that has everybody riled up. And, uh, you know, as soon as it's something that you've done and you kind of experienced it, you know, for a year or two, um, there's, there's nobody that's gone to Sunday hunting that, that wishes they had, I'll say that. So it's going to be very popular and, and well-received in Pennsylvania too. I think too, it's, it's the exact same thing of the opening day of rifle season being on a Saturday. You know, I, it was a big ordeal last year, but this year you don't really hear anything about it. Yeah, that's right. And, and you know, and I, I have often said that one of the hardest things to change in deer management is, is that opening day because it's so rooted in tradition and, uh, 
you know, I, I hunt out of a very traditional camp. We have a lot of family. Historically, we would go there on Friday after Thanksgiving, uh, you know, be together Friday, play cards Friday night, and, you know, then mess around at camp on Saturday and do the same thing again on Sunday, you know, just to get ready for Monday. So we we were as impacted as anybody, you know, by that change. So so I get it, you know, people complaining it's ruining our tradition. And, you know, because for us, it certainly changed everything about our preseason, you know, or that weekend. And, uh, you know, last year, you know, we still went to camp on Friday, um, you know, had a tremendous time hunting on Saturday. And this year we'll get to hunt that Saturday and, and then hunt Sunday again and, and still into Monday. So it'll be very different. Um, and I, and I totally get it for the, just the real hardcore traditionals that don't like it. Um, so, but uh, what I try to tell people is, you know, if, if you don't want to hunt on Saturday, you don't have to, you know, just because it opens, that doesn't mean you have to, but uh, for people who just simply can't hunt on, you know, during the week or have very little time uh, or, or kids, you know, that have off school, Man, a Saturday opener is so helpful for for those types. So, uh, so because of that, uh, you know, I, I'm a fan of it, and uh, I, it it certainly messes up with our tradition. I get it, but uh, hey, we have a new tradition now. You know, we'll start on Saturday. That's the big thing is that you're still able to do get together with the family and and, and start building a new tradition, and uh, that's something that I I found that was kind of really cool uh, this past year because Dimitri and I we were fortunate enough to. Uh, to shoot a buck before the rifle season and Dimitri actually was tagged out even uh, with his doe tag during archery season. And so I kind of got a chance to experience like what he used to do growing up as a kid, because I didn't have to have the chance to go home, uh, which was really, really cool uh, from my standpoint, but it was just, again, it was just something new. And uh, I definitely think moving forward, uh, we're going to see some good things come about it. And I hope uh, Dimitri, you could even talk about how many times you've said, you know, once we get the Sunday hunting in for one year, moving forward, I think we're going to have a, an opportunity to, to uh, continue that going forward. Yeah. And I, I think it's huge for uh, hunter recruitment moving forward too, because, you know, especially when I was in college, a lot of college kids, you know, they would come home for the break and, and, you know, get all the excitement is, is when family and friends would come in that weekend and you'd be starting to set up stands and, and getting ready for that, that traditional hunting uh, for the rifle season. And then that Sunday we had to go back to school and go to class. And, you know, and I wonder if a lot of these kids are getting uninterested just because they don't have the time because of school, uh, to hunt. And then the fact that they can get, you know, last year, one day to hunt that rifle season before having to wait to the, the first Saturday, uh, I think is huge in, in getting that involvement with the younger crowd that they can continue that moving forward. With that, and, uh, I, you know, the, some of the other changes as well, you know, more of a return to the concurrent seasons, I think is very good. Uh, Changes to the DMAP program, I think, were very good. Uh, where I am, overlap more with some of the bear season, uh, extended the archery season. Man, there's just a lot of things that you know are, are really in the hunter's favor this year, and uh, and it's not always that way. You know, some some changes that have to be made, you know, kind of negatively impact hunters. But uh, man, there's a lot of stuff that's really positive for hunters this year, and that's pretty exciting. It is. It's super exciting. That's one thing that I like. Dimitri and I have conversations either when we're turkey hunting uh, this past season or when we're just going out, hanging out, shooting our bows or scouting is just how much more time we have to hunt and just how awesome it is. So, yeah, I I think it's really, really neat. 
Kip, I know this might be jumping the gun a little bit, but what do you think the next steps moving forward of uh, getting going from three days of Sunday hunting to maybe more or eventually getting to every Sunday being legal to hunt? I haven't talked to, to, to anybody from the game commission about this, just to even see what some of the ideas are or plans. Um, so I'm not sure what they're thinking. Uh, my guess is, you know, we'll, we'll go through this year with it. Um, this will work out very well. And then when they propose next year's season, they probably will add uh, a couple more. Um, I doubt that they will try to make the league great to just wide open Sunday hunting. Um, and it's probably smart that they don't. Small steps are often the, the best way to go. So uh, we probably will see another, maybe, uh, you know, another Sunday in rifle season, um, maybe another Sunday at some point in archery season. But uh, I think it's kind of nice that they, you know, they spread them out this year where we get one in archery, one in bear, and, and then another in rifle. So a lot of, and a lot of those hunters are the same, but still, you know, different times of the year, diff- somewhat different user groups. So um, I think it was wise and how they did spread it out. So my prediction is uh, they'll just do um, a few more days and just kind of add some. Uh, at least to the rifle and, and archery season. And then who knows, uh, probably not that far down the road, uh, we'll have a whole lot more of it. That's awesome. That's hopeful. And that sounds encouraging too, as, as any, you know, Pennsylvania hunter. So, you know, one thing too, that I, I've watched you do Kip is talk a lot about, uh, your, uh, a food plot and, and just how you take care of a, a habitat management and you do such a great job with the videos and the content that you put on. Now, Dimitri and I, we don't really have, um, like a private ground where we're able to hunt and really do any type of food plot work. You know, what could you, offer uh, for individuals that don't have the ability to do that uh, for habitat management that have the land, but they just can't do uh, like the, the food plot uh, side of things? Well, I think that, uh, you know, outside of the food plots, there's a lot of other opportunities. And, and I like to think of deer habitat really in three different uh, categories. One would be, uh, you know, the forested area. Uh, one would be food plots. And then the other would be these old fields or this early successional vegetation. And, uh, there's a lot of focus right now on these old fields. And, uh, and I have spent a tremendous amount of time over the last few years, actually more time in some of working in some of these old fields than in food plots. So uh, the cool thing about that is a lot of people have opportunities for those, um, you know, because they may not have equipment to plant food plots or maybe all that much stuff that's open, but there's a lot of these old fields, you know, that are available. And, uh, they are tremendous, tremendous areas for deer. Uh, so people, if you can't plant a food plot, maybe you don't have the, any equipment or the open space. You know, if you have these old fields, there's a lot that you can do there to enhance deer cover and food, you know, getting rid of those grasses and encouraging more broadleaf plants. Um, if everything that you have is forested, you know, there's a lot that you can do in the woods. You know, anything that, that's allowing more sunlight to the forest floor is going to enhance deer forage and deer cover. Um, you know, and you can do that with cutting trees down. You can do them with hinge cutting trees. You can do it by girdling trees and, and spraying them with an herbicide. You know, if you're not comfortable felling trees, there's so much that you can do, you know, in any three of those uh, vegetative communities to enhance deer uh, attraction, you know, better deer food, better deer cover. So, uh, um, yeah, uh, you know, food plots used to be all the rage, and, and that's not the case anymore, and, and for good reason. There's there's so much we can do in wooded areas or old fields that uh, really, really enhance deer habitat and our hunting opportunities. So that's, that's where we see a lot of focus today, and, and I think that's good. 
That is really good. And and could you elaborate too, just a little bit more, Kip, on like the hinge cutting, just like the benefits of doing that, and and like what kind of uh, you know benefits could an individual get from from doing that on their property? There's a, there's a couple of reasons that people will hinge cut. Because um, the question comes, hey, do I just cut this all the way down, or, or do I hinge it and leave it a, a bit alive? And if folks don't understand, that's where you cut a tree, you know. Not all the way through, you cut it far enough that it will cause the tree to fall, but part of that bark or that cambium layer still stays attached. So the tree is alive, it's just now horizontal or, or touching the ground. And that allows uh, that tree to continue to provide some green leaves. Uh, so it's, it's food right in the deer zone, and, and it's also cover. So uh, a couple of the reasons that you may want to do that, one is if you have areas that are just really wide open and you, you, you want some immediate cover, that's a great way to provide it. You can do that very quickly, and deer will use it very quickly. Um, probably a more appropriate use of that, though, is if you're trying to direct deer movement from a, from a certain area to another. They will use that cover, and because deer are, are creatures of habit, and uh, you know they want to take the path of least resistance, you know you can hinge cut trees in a, a directional way such that to encourage deer to to move past uh, your tree stand or your ground blind or or move, uh, you know, navigate the environment in a certain way, you know, just by hinge cutting. So there's some, there's a couple of different things you can use that for or do with it. And uh, the cool thing is there's no exact right or wrong way. You can have fun with it, experiment, see what works best for you. Uh, lots of different techniques that people are using with it. But uh, um, there's a lot of good that can come from it. But, but I will say this from a safety end, uh, and I've seen people hinge cut some really big trees that are, really unsafe to be hinging uh, our perspective is if you can if the tree is small enough that you can direct it with your hand as you hinge it where you want it to fall it's small enough and safe enough to hinge cut if it's bigger than that or just too heavy you can't do that then it's much safer to just do a felling cut and then put it on the ground so uh that that's a, a good rule of thumb for people to follow because you certainly don't want to see anybody get hurt while they're out there doing this and, uh, and miss hunting too Dimitri, I mean, I want you to talk about like to like your little bit of a property that 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 you know that we're able to hunt on on your side of things, just because I feel like as as Kip's talking, I'm picturing certain areas where I I just feel like it it is the right type of of deer habitat, and that's why we do see a good amount of deer. Yeah, on my my uh, dad's ground, he did do a little uh, hinge cutting to kind of create some bedding areas um around it's a very small property only about 20 to 30 acres and and this is actually going to lead into my next question for you kip uh if if someone in pennsylvania was only able to to put one small food plot in uh, a 20 to 30 acre piece what would you recommend putting in that spot just because this is an area that's not going to hold a lot of deer on the private ground um but it borders public uh where more of the bedding is uh but what would you recommend putting in that small food plot uh, one of the most common things planted for deer is, is a clover you know a white or clover or red clover and, and that provides food for numerous months of the year so that that is certainly an option um probably though from a hunting standpoint a better option would be something that would be very attractive during the time of the year that you want to be hunting at whether that's more so in the archery season or more in the rifle season. Um, so in a given the size of it, um, probably I would either go with a brassica or a winter rye or winter wheat. 
Now, the reason for that is those are annual plants, provide a lot of tonnage uh, on a per acre basis. Uh, they're both pretty inexpensive to plant, and, uh, and they both grow really, really well. Um, so it's, you know, it's easy to get those to germinate. You don't need a lot of equipment. You, know, you don't need to have a perfectly prepared uh, seed bed or anything like that. And they're both uh, providing a lot of food and attraction during our hunting seasons. So uh, those, would, uh, those would be outstanding chances. If you wanted to see something that you could see deer throughout the year, I would go with a red clover, white clover mix. If it was something more where, hey, I'm interested in hunting over this, I would use either brassicas or uh, winter rye. I, thank you for, for sharing that information, Kip. Now, I want to talk to you. This is something that we talked to a, another one of our guests not too long ago about hunting Pennsylvania, like early season and like what was our outlook and, you know, what was our, 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 our way that we attacked it. And I, Dimitri and I, I believe that we're transitioning into a more of that aggressive, like, hey, we, if we have a, a buck on camera that we really want to focus on and maybe get after, instead of waiting until that late October rut time, like let's try to get after them early. Could you talk about maybe what are some strategies, especially here in Pennsylvania that, uh, you know, we could utilize to, to hopefully get in on a deer early on compared to waiting until the rut kicks in? Sure. I think that the early season is, is by far the best time to kill an older deer. Um, they are by far the most patternable. Uh, you know, they're just switching from that summer home range to, to, you know, to that fall home range. Summer home range is, is the smallest of the year. Um, if they have food and cover in a very close proximity, they, they literally will use, you know, th their core area could be as small as 50 acres. You know, they go almost nowhere. So they haven't been pushed yet. You know, they're going to feed, then they're going to go back and bed. They're going to feed, they're going to bed. And if you know or have a good food source where they are and good bedding close by, you can you have a way better chance to pattern them than at any other time of the year because they you know they haven't got into the, the rut yet they're not starting to you know to chase does they're not starting to, to mess around with other bucks so uh, just a lot more predictability early on and uh, and our season here in Pennsylvania starts you know always the last Saturday in September or first in October so uh, the deer are really starting to change their uh, from their summer to fall uh, home ranges at that point so. Uh, you know, when I say early season, I mean like literally as soon as hours open, <laughs> because right after that is is when all of the that movement patterns start to change. But uh, you know, people talk about hunting the rut, and the rut is certainly a lot of fun. But the rut can be completely hit or miss. You know, some of the most boring days of my life deer hunting have been right in the middle of the rut. You know, there, there just wasn't any uh, anything going on around me. There was no hot does. You know. They might have been a few hundred yards away, but, uh, you know, I literally have had days, you know, where I see almost nothing. Uh, I've had others where, you know, I was like on a buck expressway and I was just like, seeing deer like crazy, but <laughs> you don't tend to get that so much earlier in the year. So the rut is fun because it's so unpredictable. Anything can happen. But for those folks who, you know, who really like to try to pattern a deer, um, early season is by far a much more or much better time to do that. Yeah, it's something where for us, we've had deer on camera uh, countless of years now for the past couple where nice mature deer, we, we kind of tiptoed around that idea of like, okay, where do we 
set up stands? Like, where do we want to go? We don't, are we going to blow up this whole area if we just put all our eggs in that, that basket in this vicinity? And I think now after learning and talking to a bunch of people, you know, if, if we could get within that nice bubble of, of that buck and like you said, have a nice pattern going on, we might have a, an opportunity to, to see them and, and maybe get a shot at them. That's right. Uh, I used to, to, you know, when we started learning about uh, pressure and and movement patterns, uh, there was a period of time where I got pretty uh, conservative early in the season and said, you know, I'm, I'll hunt from the outside in and I'm going to be very careful. And uh, I'm I'm still pretty, well, I'm still very careful about hunting pressure, but I will be much more aggressive early season now, um, at least for a few sits. Because if you know where where a deer is, particularly a nice buck that you want to kill, um, it's a great time to really go after him and get him. And if it doesn't work out, if you're bumping or something messes up, hey, that's okay. Just back out, you know, give him some time. It's not like he's going to leave, you know, the area. Um, Certainly, given that he has been unpressured, you know, most of the summer. So bumping him early in our archery season is very different from, you know, bumping him you know, during the rut or later in the year when he has been bumped a few times before or he's got a lot of pressure, you know, right now he doesn't have that. So um, I'm I'm all about, you know, now I'm not just going blindly after this, but if I have a deer on camera or a deer that I've been, I've been seeing at night or scouting or whatever, and I have a, I think, you know, a pretty good idea of what he's doing, I will absolutely be aggressive early. And, uh, and take that shot. I think that I think that's a, a, a risk that's well worth taking. Nice. Now, if you're you're hunting early season in October, and say you're hunting a, a area that's mostly just hardwoods with ridges and, and valleys here in Pennsylvania, is there certain terrain features or you know uh, certain type of food sources that you're targeting in the early season? Um, it's nice to know what they are eating on for sure and target that. Um, I have really shifted the last few years, um, to hunting cover a lot more than just food. Um, you know, just realizing that, yeah, if food is important and they need food, but you know, if the cover is not there, you know, they can just go eat that food at night under the cover of darkness. So, uh, I have been far more successful, um, when I start thinking a lot more about cover than I do food. Uh, finding the cover first and then figuring out food sources after that and where they might be wanting to leave that cover to go um, uh, is, I think, a, a better strategy. So, um, But as far as food, you know, there's still, if you're in an ag area, there's a lot of ag that they're, they're still on this time of the year and into October. Um, I know where I am, we're having an out uh, acorn crop. So uh, white oaks seem to be pretty poor, but lots of red oaks. So uh which means, uh, you know, they're going to they're gonna shift. And then where I am, where it's a pretty good mix of woods and, and fields, more heavier than the woods. But um, when we have real good acorn crops, um, you see way fewer deer out in fields, food plots, et cetera, just because they hit those oaks so hard. So um, I find, a, you know, I know where deer want to bed from some of our habitat work or work that the neighbors have done that has good cover. And then from that, um, hunt out from that towards food and uh, that can, that's a recipe that can be pretty successful for you. And like Jeremy said, this year we're going to get a little bit more aggressive and start 
to hunting around that cover area earlier in the season. Is there a certain sign that you're looking for that you might set up on, whether it's scrapes or rubs, or is there just uh, looking for transitions where they're walking? I love those transition areas. Um, I, I like to see scrapes and rubs like everybody else. Uh, I use those particularly the scrapes a lot more from a camera perspective. Um, research shows that about 84% of all scrape activity occurs at night. Um, so it's not when we can shoot them. However, that's still, you know, about 16% of it is during the day. So I don't, I wouldn't totally abandon those, but I like to see those scrapes. And then oftentimes they're hit, right? Uh, you know, right before daylight or right at dark. So uh, if you can find cover near those areas where deer are not moving all that far out of that cover to hit so, you know, those scrapes, um, that can be a dynamite place to hunt. So um, those scrapes are often in those transition zones. Deer like those areas. You know, they move a lot through those areas. There tends to be a lot of cover in those areas leading to food. So uh, I'm a big fan of, of anything that's transitional like that. That's good to know too. And, and can, could you talk about how much you go off of like, say old history Intel, uh, when you hunt, like say a property that you've been hunting for years, like, do you change anything up or are you just go, going off of that old Intel? Like, you know, you, you got deer here, um, and you kind of go from there. Well, um, a, a little bit of both. We certainly use old Intel just on uh, terrain features and other things on the property that, you know, that make deer want to move in a certain way. Um, but I purposely get out of a rut and, uh, pun intended, I guess, in, in hunting the same stands. Like I purposely make myself go somewhere else or move them. Part of that is because, you know, we all have our favorite stand and man, you remember they're like that buck you saw there or that big doe you shot there. Well, the thing is, you know, things change, you know, you know, sometimes there's acorns, sometimes there's not. The forest is aging. Uh, we do a bunch of habitat work, so conditions are always a little different. So because of that, you should move. You should change. Um, also, deer get so good at picking out where stands were, you know, particularly if they've been spooked, you know, with you getting in or out of a stand or, you know, they catch you there. So uh, we have a, a statistic at our camp that we monitor, and, and actually I – our annual camp work bee is this coming weekend. We always have a preseason uh, work bee where, you know, we take care of things at camp and cut wood. And, well, part of that is I give our annual camp talk, and uh, which I show, you know, hey, here's where I think the, the deer herd is relative to where we want to be. We t I give them our target doe harvest for the year. Um, as part of that, we monitor very closely, you know, where every single deer that gets shot on us, where it is, and we age them, weigh them, and all that. Well, uh I saw so this is on the top of my head because I literally just updated this slide in the last, I don't know how many years, 15 years, maybe it is now. I don't have the date on this, but um, we have either shot or shot at mature bucks. And we monitor, was it from a new stand or an old stand? And uh, in the last, well, this is a long time now, numerous years, we have shot seven, shot or shot at seven mature bucks from old stands meaning stands that have been there for years, seven versus 24 mature bucks from new stands. Wow. And, uh, which, and I show that purposely to the guys at our camp to tell them, move, you know, that the guys that read the habitat, the guys that learn and observe and adapt are the guys at camp that tend to kill a lot more older deer. And, uh, you know, some of the guys, that, ah, my stands in the same spot, you know, I go there every year. Those are the guys that don't see as much. And, you know, 
not necessarily that they complain, but uh, I want to see them be successful. So that's some of the things that we monitor. So, um, yeah, we, I use old Intel more from a terrain feature than anything else, or if they are pushed where they may want to, you know, immediately flee to find cover. But we try to, to monitor what's going on every year relative to our habitat work. And then still move those stands just so deer are not uh, used to being pressured from that area. You know, find a new area where we have not hunted last year. And man, it's amazing. Even if the habitat doesn't look as good there, in a lot of cases, man, the, the deer movement is good just because they have not been pressured there at all. Now, when you say uh, move your stand, now, how far are you thinking that someone needs to move their stand? Now, if you say they either were in a stand and then they saw a mature buck, maybe it was just out of range um, or maybe it was just skirting around them and kind of knew that he was there. Or if you have a camera out that you know a mature buck's in the area, but you haven't seen him in different stands in that area. Now, how far do you think someone needs to move and, and change that location for that buck doesn't know that they're in there? That all depends on, on how open or uh, closed the, the cover is. You know, if it's an area that's pretty thick and there's a lot of cover, um, that may not be very far at all. Literally moving a stand 50 or 100 yards could be you know, all that make all the difference in the world. Uh, conversely, if it's in a, a hardwood, uh, you're on a hill, it's all mature hardwood, it's open, and you can see 300 yards through it, uh, you know, you may have to move it two or 300 yards to have to make any difference. So the, the whole idea is to, to not let deer know they're being hunted and not let them be on alert. And, uh, as, you know, as soon as they know they're being hunted or they're, you know, watching a spot where they have been spooked before, um, you know, it's an entirely different game. And this, I had a stand, you know, this is years ago, a wooden stand that we built and I would get in it. And, uh, I had hunted on the same stand for years. Very successful, man. I saw deer. I killed a lot of deer out of it. And then, uh, one year, uh, and this was in a was hardwood forest, almost all oak, you know, kind of toward the top of this hill, but I could see a long ways. And, um, anyway, I'm sitting in the stand one day and, you know, just not seeing hardly anything. So I got out and I literally walked uh, about a hundred yards away from my stand to the edge of the hill to see down over. And uh, not long after I got there, I saw this group of does coming up toward the, the top of the hill near my stand. And uh, before I ended up shooting them, but before I did, I saw the lead doe stop and stare before I would have been able to see him from my stand, stared at where my stand was and stood there for about five minutes looking, listening, nose in the air, smelling, and uh, and it hit me. They know exactly what is going on. You <laughs> know, they are, they had just seen that or you know, smelled me in that or seen me in that enough times that, and the thing was, they were at an area that if they would have smelled me, I know they could have just skirted the tip of that hill and I would have never seen them. And uh, they didn't smell me there where I was, I was uh, still downwind. So then they went to go ahead and cross where I could have seen them from my stand. And I thought, geez, that Lee Doe, she is way too smart for this area. So I shot her. <laughs> so she's not teaching all those other deer. And then I realized, you know what? I have to move my stand. And I think, uh, well, I'm, I'm convinced that adult does are some of the smartest deer in the woods anyway. At the time, I thought, man, if those have this figured out, all the bucks must do. And I now know that's not necessarily true, that, the, you know, those can, can be a lot smarter than, than bucks. But 
that's the exact type of thing I'm talking about. Even if you don't see deer or you don't realize you're spooking them, if it's the same spot you go year after year, uh, man, deer are on to it. So, you know, in that particular case, I, well, I did. I moved 100 yards that morning and uh, had a successful hunt because of it that would not have happened if I would have still been sitting in that stand. Uh, I love that story. That's great stuff, Kip. Now, you talked to a lot about strategy there, just right in there. You know, could you talk about how you're, you differ your strategy throughout the season, like whether it be, you know, certain uh, food is being, you know, like you're saying, acorn or they're hitting food plots or over tons of rubs or anything like along those lines. Could you talk, talk us through like how that strategy changes for you here in Pennsylvania? Sure. Um, I, I said, you know, that I, I, I tend to be more conservative than I have been in the past. And that is true. Um, if I don't have a good idea of where a certain deer is or where, you know, a bunch of does are, um, I'm not going in blindly into a place. So I tend to hunt from the outside in um, more so than, than in the past. I think that's very wise. Um, there's some, some really good hunters. Uh, Mike Hanback is a friend of mine great great deer hunter and mike started saying years ago you know uh uh hunt or uh scout more and hunt less for more success the first time i heard him say i said mike you're crazy (laughs) there's no way i'm gonna give and then i realized that's part of the reason he's so successful is because he's not spooking deer you know he's hunting from afar a little bit scouting and getting the lay of the land in these new areas and then he'll go and you know attack so uh I take that attack a little bit now where um, I'm still hunting, but I tend to hunt on the fringes of places. Um, food, absolutely, early in the in our archery season. But as we get into October, um, things definitely change with deer. And you know, a lot of people talk about this October lull. It's very clear from radio-colored deer that is not true. Deer are moving every bit as much or more during October as they were in September. You know, they're just shifting food sources, you know, testosterone levels are rising. So there's, they're just not in the same places that we saw them all summer. So uh, what I tend to do then is there's, uh, if I have a really good food source, maybe it's uh, a food plot or, you know, an oak tree is dropping acorns that they're around. I, I absolutely will hunt those. But I tell you what, the last uh, five years, I have transitioned uh, three old fields on our farm. Um, some of them were food plots. Some of them were pastures. I have gotten rid of almost all of the cool season grasses out of them, and they grow back in forbs and broadleaf stuff. You know, I'm not planting any of these. This is all stuff that's in the seed bank. We just got to get rid of the grasses. These old fields have turned into dynamite hunting areas for us. And uh, the reason for that is, you know, they still have some broadleaf stuff in them, even well into our hunt season, um, that deer will eat. But also, they have good cover. You know, this stuff is... What I'm thinking of here is like goldenrod, a bunch of the flowering plants, um, blackberry, raspberry. Um, we often can see into these, but deer feel secure in them to the point where they move freely during the day. And it, it's amazing how deer will move through these. So uh, I gave you those stats about the, the, the stands and the mature bucks here. And uh, this is another one that I know is in our camp report. So I'll share with you. Last year, and we, we plant a bunch of food plots. Last year at our camp, we killed two deer in food plots and seven deer in early successional fields. And almost every one of them is because these fields are near food plots and deer were out in these fields, you know, uh, a few hours after daylight or a few hours before dark because they feel comfortable. They're feeding in there. They may have ultimately ended up in the food plot at about dark, 
but they come out so much earlier and feed in these fields. So uh, I have transitioned a lot of my hunting and my kids' hunting, you know, away from food plots, even away from uh, from oaks at times, to places where we can see into these old fields. And uh, it's a ton of fun because you can watch deer move at times of the day that they just typically don't move in Pennsylvania once we start putting pressure on them. Yeah. And that's, that's awesome. And I, you know, even one more thing to kind of build off that strategy, Kip is like, you know, we, we have friends that are, are trying to learn and get better as a hunter. You know, what would you say that you could really give to a Pennsylvania hunter of like a tip or a tactic or strategy to, to really work on or, or try to improve upon this upcoming season? I think part of it is, uh, just get in the woods and go, you know, we, there was a time when, you know, there was a hunter behind it, seemingly behind every tree. And so most of the, the luck that people had is, you know, they were driving deer, deer were getting moved from one hollow to the next and back and forth because there were so many hunters bumping them everywhere. You didn't have to know much about hunting to be able to see deer. Anybody could go out and see deer, you know, and it's very different today. Um, some people say it's because there's way fewer deer. That is not true. Some areas, I guess we do have fewer deer. But in large part, we still have very healthy deer populations and a lot of deer. The big difference is there's not nearly as many hunters. People, rather than driving deer, uh, today try to become invisible in the woods. So they're not bumping deer every which way. And our seasons are longer. So everybody's not in the woods the same day. So historically, you could just go out and see deer. That's not the case today. So I tell people is learn what you can about deer. There's tremendous resources today to you know, learn about deer movement and deer behavior. Go to QDMA.com. You know, Penn State has a, an awesome website, the Deer Force blog, all kinds of places. So learn a little bit about deer, but just get out in the woods and just go look. You know, there's tremendous opportunities for scouting. Um, we have, what, four and a half million acres of public land yeah. in Pennsylvania. So there's public land everywhere. And we have tremendous hunting, deer hunting on, on many of our public lands. So just get out. And it's, it's amazing that if you try to learn a little bit through reading or watching videos and then apply it to the land and get out, walk. Um, it's amazing how quickly you can start to realize, oh, yeah, I see what's going on. Um, this is not like northern New England where there's only, you know, five deer per square mile where you literally could hunt an entire season and not see one. That's not the case here. I mean, it's a hard place there to learn how to hunt. That's not the way in Pennsylvania. We have enough deer that, you know, if you get out there and start scouting and learning, you're going to come across them. You're going to see signs, you know, and pretty soon you can start putting what you learned together. You're like, okay, now I understand why this is, you know, a deer is here or why this is working. And uh, it's, it's a pretty easy place to be successful if you put in a little bit of, uh, of legwork. So uh, luckily we have the deer, we have the land access available to us. So it's a good place to learn how to hunt. Awesome. That's why I even think there's no excuse uh, for a lot of people these days just because there are so many resources out there for, you know, whether you're a new hunter or a young hunter or even a, you know, a veteran hunter that just wants to learn more, you know, growing up, I know we didn't have the resources. You basically had what you saw on television, you know, now with the internet and YouTube and podcasts, and you can really tailor that to how you hunt and where you hunt, you know, before if a lot of it was private ground food plots and you know so that didn't pertain a lot to you and you were trying to implement those strategies where 
where you hunted and you know that might not be the case in pennsylvania here when you're hunting public ground but now with all these resources available to us you can really grow and learn and nitpick what what's going to work for you and what's not going to work for you which is you know being a young hunter that's got to be exciting of being able to see this and and really grow quickly as a hunter Heck yeah. And, and, you know, even just some of the research that's done in state, you know, uh, historically, there was not a lot of research done on deer that was really shared with hunters. The research would be shared, you know, among biologists and managers, but it really wasn't given out to the public. And, you know, we're so lucky to have uh, Penn State and the Game Commission do all the research that they do here. But even more importantly, they do research that's really cool to hunters. Right. You know, they have they have radio collared so many deer and, you know, and make the videos available. Hey, look at this. This is how this deer is navigating the landscape, you know, in September, then in October. And here's how it changes in November, uh, that type of stuff. So, you know, it's, it's, it's free. It's easily accessible. It's really good work. And it's right here in our home state. So uh, it doesn't get any better than that for, for trying to learn what's going on. Yeah, Kip, can you talk to, you said about the age harvest has improved in Pennsylvania. Can you discuss that a little bit so that some, someone might not know how you go about that and what the age range is, the average harvest now? Sure. Uh, historically, um, 70 to 80 percent of all the bucks killed in Pennsylvania were only one and a half years old. Uh, 70 to 80 percent of all the antler bucks uh, were, were only one and a half years old. You know, very few got to two and a half or three and a half or older. And, uh, you know, 20 years ago, less than 1% of the bucks in Pennsylvania ever reached maturity just, just because we killed them all as yearlings. You know, we were one thing Pennsylvania hunters are good at is killing deer. And uh, we killed all those one and a half year old bucks or, or most of them. Well, you know, almost 20 years ago now, we had, uh, you know, the antler restrictions were put in place to protect the majority of those yearling bucks. And uh, they, they have worked extremely well. Hunters today see the benefits of passing young bucks, and you know, and many of them pass bucks that are legal as one and a half year olds or, or even two and a half year olds. Um, so today, there are older bucks on average in Pennsylvania than than maybe we've ever had. Uh, we the QDMA monitors this every year. We publish a, an annual whitetail report uh, where we include harvest data from every single state wildlife agency. And one of the questions that we ask is, what percentage of your antler buck harvest were one and a half, two and a half, or at least three and a half, so three and a half or older? And uh, Pennsylvania doesn't doesn't monitor the percentage that hit three and a half, but what they do is they monitor the percentage that are one or two or older. So, you know, we have watched this number over the years change from you know, 70 to 80 percent one and a half year old bucks to down to 70, down to 60, down to 50. And for the last several years, less than half of all the antler bucks killed in PA were, were one and a half years old. So what that means is, you know, over half of our harvest now are bucks that are at least two and a half. And we continue to see more deer in those three, four, five, and, and six-year-old age classes. So uh, it's, it's been a monumental difference. Uh, it's because of the antler restrictions and hunters' willingness to, uh, to, to protect some of those younger bucks that even did meet the, the require the antler restrictions to harvest. So, uh, you know, hunters helped with that. It's been a great relationship between uh, the game commission and hunters to get that done. And then uh, now as hunters, we are reaping the benefits of, uh, of this older age structure. It's, it's pretty cool. 
And that's amazing stuff. And Kip, you know, one more thing before I know you got to get going and stuff. You, know, you talk about all the amazing things that the QDMA does. And now with the joint thing with the NDA, you know, could you talk a little bit about like what that has uh, in store for us as hunters and, and what you guys are going to be doing on the forefront as far as like CWD is concerned as well? Sure. Um, I am super excited about uh, merging with the National Deer Alliance. Uh, this has been really, really good for, for both organizations. And, you know, the thing is, uh, QDMA developed the NDA uh, following the, the 2014 Whitetail Summit that, that we hosted. Yep. Um, and it was always supposed to be part of us. You know, it wasn't supposed to be separate. And uh, so that was the mistake that we made back in 2015. Um, so it's pretty neat now that we get a second chance to make it right. So because we worked very closely with the NDA the entire time anyway. So now that we're back together, it's good because it allows us to really focus on, on a few areas, um, particularly, you know, advocacy and policy is what the NDA really excelled at. Um, and at QDMA, we always worked in that arena, um, you know, but we partly developed the NDA to be able to be better in, at advocacy and policy. So it's going to allow the, our new organization to be, you know, laser focused on things like advocacy and policy and really be good at it allow us to be focused on education, you know, which is what QDMA has always, uh, that's the horse we've always rode, you know, and do even more with that. And then we've seen that already with the, the creation of our new uh, monthly webinar series uh, where, you know, we, we are able to, to teach people about a certain topic. Uh, it's going to allow us to continue to do even more relative to chronic waste and disease. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's not the biggest, it's one of the biggest things impacting deer hunting today and, and for the foreseeable future. So we have, uh, we are working with the, the Pennsylvania Game Commission uh, and Michigan State University right now on uh, CWD messaging and, uh, and a research project in Michigan about changing the, the values or I'm sorry, changing the, the behavior of deer hunters. Um, we're with, um, specifically creating some videos that they will use and show hunters and, and just measure differences in behavior based on the type of things that, that we say, you know, relative to hunting at CWD. So, uh, we're in a unique place where, you know, not everybody wants to believe there's a state agency. You know, some people just don't trust government. Um, we have a great working relationship with almost every state wildlife agency. So uh, given that we are good at policy, we are good at education, um, it enables us to do more of this messaging type things with more states, you know, to, to help educate uh, hunters on whether it's CWD or something else. So um, that's one of the, the things we're, we're going to spend a lot of time on as well. So that's pretty exciting. That is really exciting stuff. And you talk about too, like the CWD, I know for, you know, when that hit a few years ago, it was like the big talk of the town as far as in the, in the hunting world, you know, what is our current state uh, with CWD right now? Well, unfortunately it's continuing to expand in the state. Um, we're seeing it in more counties, uh, more, a higher percentage of deer are testing positive. And uh, which which is not good, and uh, and we are getting to the threshold where it's gonna if we allow it to continue to increase in prevalence, it is going to grow very quickly. Uh, the, the number of deer that have this, so we're at we're at a turning point right now where we really have to get a handle on it. Um, the game commission realizes this, and and I've been very impressed with how they have been trying to engage hunters to help. And uh, where the game commissioner said, hey, you know what? We know we can't do this alone. We need the hunters to help us. And they need them to help them, you know, shoot antlerless deer in these areas uh, that are needed. They need them to help test these deer, you know, make sure you provide your deer for testing, um, provide access to hunters, 
you know, in some of these areas so that we can shoot more deer. Um, there's a lot of ways that hunters can help and landowners can help. And, uh, I'm glad that the game commission is, is trying to engage them. So they will, but, uh, we right now, if we can get a handle on this and reduce some of these deer numbers, uh, not the zero by any means, but just reduce them from where they are now, um, we can safeguard our deer herd, you know, and be far better protected for the future because you, we are right at the places like where, uh, Wisconsin and, uh, and West Virginia were a few years ago regarding the percentage of the deer that had it. And, uh, you know, those states went from, you know, four or five or six percent of their deer to, in some cases, you know, 30, 40 or 50 percent wow. uh, of the bucks in those core areas. And uh, we're, the, the curve that we're on right now is exactly the way they are. And we certainly do not want that. So we need to we need to make a stand right now so that uh, that doesn't happen. Yeah, that's really important stuff. Well, I know you guys will be, you know, leading the forefront for that. And, uh, you know, any way that we could help and, and help get out a message, you know, we, we'll be more than happy to do that as well. Well, Kip, man, I, I can't wait. I hope we're able to to do another uh, conversation again, maybe one day in person after the season uh, ha- uh, is over. So what does 2020 have in store for you, Kip? Oh, man, I still have two young kids. So uh, hunting is very fun for me right now. And uh, I have a 14-year-old daughter and an 11-year-old son who are both crazy deer hunters, uh, thankfully. Um, and actually, I got a little bit of a jump on the season. I have a good friend in Maryland. Their season opened uh, a couple that. weeks ago that invited uh, my son and I down. So uh, I got to sit in the deer stand, got to watch my son shoot a couple deer last weekend, which was, uh, that was the, I needed that. It kind of like took the edge off me waiting for, <laughs> for our season. So Congrats but, uh, to him. our season will, oh, thank you very much. Um, our season will be uh, a lot of sits with, with my kids uh, in a stand, um, family members. Um, I always make a pledge to take new hunters, somebody that has never hunted before or somebody that's never killed a deer before. Um, I, I take them, you know, teach them about deer. Uh, not always, but almost always get them a deer. Or I, have to, I don't get They get a deer while I'm with them and helping them learn. So, uh, that, that's always a highlight of our year. Uh, my kids typically will be with us at the time or at least through some of the, the you know, the, the learning that we do. So they feel a part of it as well and, and understand the importance of mentoring other hunters, you know, who, who aren't as fortunate as us to have grown up in a hunting family. So uh, that's, uh, that's what I'm looking forward to this deer season. And uh, I'm, I am ready to get going, I promise you. Awesome. Well, it's great to hear, Kip, and uh, thank you. Where could people find more about you and QDMA and, and uh, everything going forward for you guys? They, we have all kinds of information available at, at QDMA.com. Um, they can go there. They can reach me directly at kadams at QDMA.com. Uh, one D in the Adams. Uh, we're the, the, the lesser of the two Adams families, I guess. So, uh, <laughs> But uh, they're, they're able to – they can email me directly. Um, I'm on social media. They can find me on social media. They can they can call me. Uh, I'm glad to help however I can. So uh, they can find me through the website or, or any of those other ways. Awesome. Well, Kip, thank you again so much for coming on and, and sharing your knowledge. And again, I really hope we have an opportunity to do this one again and after the season. So everybody go check out Kip and, and what he has going on at the QDMA. Thanks for listening. Until next time, Antler up. And that's a wrap for another episode of the Antler Up podcast, man. That's a whole good uh, bunch of information that I hope uh, we're going to be able to put to work this weekend. Uh, looks like a cold front's coming through. So those of you getting after it, man, let's go Let's go get them. Hopefully we could uh, get some uh, opportunities out there. Man, I'm just trying to fill the freezer at this point. Uh, it's been pretty slow on, on our end. So 
hopefully hopefully uh we get some work done this weekend those of you that filled tags already congrats those of you that didn't keep grinding appreciate the support make sure you check us out over at antlerupoutdoors.com check us out over our youtube social media pages man the support just helps us out uh for what we're doing again thank you so much till next time antler up